Awesome, who wants to sign up for camp? Yeah, hey, you know, you don't have to be a student. You can go as an adult because they always need help. So you can uh, sign up to do that as well. Now, um, happy Easter. I am so, I am so thankful that you came and you took time today to celebrate Easter with us. And uh, Easter, you know, is about hope. As, as Aaron says, we, we look back, you know, 2,000 years to an event that took place um, 2,000 years ago, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it changed the people around him. It, it forever altered their lives, and then, it, and then it went forward and changed the Roman Empire and changed human history. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to um, just remind us of the significance, what it meant, and how that gives us hope. And, and I, I'm very mindful of the fact that as you came in here today, you know, man, beautiful day, and we're singing about, uh, you know, having a celebration, singing about hope, and uh, maybe hope has not been on your mind. Maybe there's been some difficult things going on in your life through a difficult season, and uh, my prayer for you today is that, you know, the peace and the comfort and the strength of God would be with you. And, uh, and maybe today, um, the reality of Easter might even lift you you know, above the circumstances of life and connect you to you know, hope that doesn't fail even when life's hard. Now, um, I think we're hope-filled creatures. I, I think you know, humans are, we're hope-based. You know, there's things about you can live so long without food and water and minutes without air, but really we can't live without hope. And, and it's true because the way we live today is, is really for a large part determined about the hope we have in life and the hope we have for our future. And there's a story that kind of illustrates this is there's two men who, who uh, committed um, a crime and they were captured and they were tried and convicted and they were sent to prison. And upon arriving at prison uh, for their crime, both of them received messages. One, the first man received a message that his wife and child had unexpectedly passed. And the second man received a letter, and it was a letter from his wife saying, um, hey, we believe in you, we forgive you, and we can't wait to the day where we're reunited. Now, both of them over the next couple of years lived life under the same circumstances, the same conditions, the same experience, experiences, but one of them, the first man, um, lost weight got sick and ultimately died. The second man um, seemed to be doing okay and he, he lived life with hope and, and 10 years later he was released and, and reunited with his family. Two people, same circumstances, different perspective in life and how they lived their day. I mean, hope is a big deal for us. And Easter um, says, yeah, uh, God wants us to be connected to the reality of something that happened that is personal and it's directed towards each one of us. And it's actually something that if we understand the significance of Easter, you can't just go, oh yeah, that's interesting, that's, that's good. It actually um, is God saying, hey, uh, this is my message to you. It's personal. And I, and I want you to respond to it. Neither we say, okay, yeah, I respond to this, or no, I respond to it by saying, nah, not for, not for me. 
And some of you might be thinking this morning, okay, we have just sang songs about somebody rising from the dead. Did anybody, did anybody else not you know, hear this? I mean, we're talking about somebody rising from the dead. That doesn't happen. And so why are we doing this? Isn't this like some stories that make us feel good you know, about life? And isn't it kind of like Greek mythology that you know, there's these gods we made up to kind of you know, give us a higher sense of significance? And, and this, this really couldn't be true. This couldn't have happened. And I want you to know that if that's um, what you're thinking, uh, you're in good company. I mean, that, that, those are good questions. And Jesus' followers, even Jesus' followers themselves, didn't believe in the resurrection. I mean, when it happened, you know what they did? They ran. When, when, they, when, they, when Jesus died on the cross, they were beyond distraught. They, they were broken. Their dreams were broken. Their hope was gone, was dead. And they didn't know what to do. In fact, uh, most of the guys, they hid. They were afraid. They were afraid of being arrested and tried and maybe crucified like Jesus was. And so they were totally afraid. One of them was named Thomas. You might have heard of him. He's also referred to lots of times as Doubting Thomas. Bummer for Thomas to be ever known as Doubting Thomas. But I, I, I connect to Thomas. Thomas was like, hey, uh, prove it. Prove it. I, I, I like that. You know, and he started hearing that, okay, the tomb was empty. And he knew the tomb was empty after, you know, a few days after Jesus had died. And then some of his friends started telling him, hey, we saw Jesus. We spent yesterday with him. He's alive and well. And this is what Thomas said. Chapter 20 of the book of John, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side where his side was pierced, then I will never believe. I need to, I need to see proof. He's saying, I'll follow the evidence. Give me evidence. But I'm not believing hearsay. And, you know, healthy skepticism can be good for us. You know, I mean, nothing wrong with doubts. So let's, let's just drive and see if we can find answers. And that's what Thomas was saying. And, and, and really, we're talking about Easter as an event in human history, and, and that has been um, criticized for centuries. There's people that have said, you know what, uh, there's no way this is history, this is myth. This is not, the Bible is not a historical document. It's a document by hope-filled followers of Jesus who wrote it hundreds of years later in hopes of elevating the view of Jesus. And, um, and we know from science and truth and textual criticism that actually it was written within the lifetime of those who saw Jesus. And so eyewitnesses were roaming the earth. Eyewitnesses were in Jerusalem who saw Jesus, who saw Jesus die and rise from the dead. And so when this information came out about Jesus dying and rising from the dead, it could have been squashed immediately by people saying, that's not what happened. But instead, you know what happened? A movement. 
After the death and resurrection of Jesus, there was a movement. Thousands of people came to Christ, tens of thousands within month in Jerusalem had come to become followers of Jesus and it continued to spread through Asia and Europe and eventually changed, changed the Roman Empire. And it continues to change lives today. So how did this happen? Is this really history? People say, no, it's not history. If it was history, we'd have archeological evidence. I mean, there's things in the life of Jesus that are recorded in the Bible that um, we need to see proof of. And this has been an argument really for centuries. Um, that there's things that happened in Jesus' life in Jerusalem um, at the pool of Siloam or the pool of Bethesda. And it, so where are those pools? Or there's people in Jesus' life like Mary Magdalene. Well, Magdalene's not Mary's last name. It's Mary of Magdala is what that stands for. So that, that was her hometown. Well, where's Magdala? We don't see it anywhere. Where is it on the map? Point it to me. Or how about Pilate? He was the governor of Judea in the Bible. He's the one who sentenced Jesus to death. Shouldn't there be some kind of evidence that he is a real person and lived outside of the Bible? Are we supposed to just take it on blind trust? Well, in the early 19th century, there was a dig in northern Jerusalem in the old city and it was down several, several layers to where it got down to the time of Jesus. And they found a pool in northern Jerusalem. And they studied that and they dug around it and they looked for evidence. And for a hundred years they examined it and the evidence around it. And then declared that they had identified the pool of Bethesda. In 2005, in southern Jerusalem, the old city... Archaeological digs were happening. They found another pool. And within the year, they had uncovered and identified that this indeed is the pool that was talked about where Jesus did a miracle called the Pool of Siloam. Mary Magdalene. What about Magdala? Where is that? Well, in the early 2000s, there was a, a priest from uh, Spain who wanted to build a retreat center on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so they began excavating in order to build the foundations. And, and then, as happens a lot in Israel and Palestine, is they found some ancient buildings. And they began uncovering it. And in 2009, it was identified as Magdala. And I've been there. I've seen it's a big city on the shores of the Sea of Galilee that, that was under people's feet for centuries. Pilate, Pontius Pilate person who condemned Jesus to death. In 1961, there was an archaeological dig along the shores of the sea, of the Mediterranean Sea, at a place called Caesarea by the Sea, and they found a stone, a commemorative stone commemorating the, the, um, the building that was um, being honored there, and they said uh, that it was done under the oversight of Pontius Pilate, the prefect of Judea. I mean, there are people who have been out to disprove the Bible and have said, you know, I'm just going to show you that historically it's not reliable. One of them was an investigative reporter named Jeffrey Scheller, and he wrote a feature article in U.S. News and World Report, 
And this is what he found. In extraordinary ways, modern archaeology is affirming the historical, historical core of the Old and New Testaments, supporting key portions of crucial biblical stories of Israel's patriarchs, the Exodus, the Davidic monarchy, and the life and times of Jesus. Before him, there's a man named um, Sir William Ramsey. He was well known in the field of history and archaeology. He um, did not believe in the Bible. And in fact, he was, he was an atheist and he uh, spoke against the his, his, historicity of the Bible. And so he was challenged to, hey, just go prove this once and for all, that the Bible is not a historical document, but it's a myth. And so he did that by examining the books that were written by Luke. Um, Luke wrote the, the book Luke in the New Testament that's about the life of Jesus, and then the book Acts, which is about what happened after the resurrection of Jesus as this, the news of Jesus' death and resurrection spread um, into Asia and around eventually to Europe. And so um, Sir William Ramsey said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so he went to Palestine and then into Asia and Europe, and he followed the information that was in the New Testament about places that he had not seen nor had been discovered, and he spent years and years and years of research. And at the end of his research, he said this, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of facts trustworthy, but Luke should be placed among the greatest of all ancient historians. You see, what this is saying is you don't have to believe in God, but you have to deal with history. And there's something happened 2,000 years ago that eyewitnesses said they saw a man die, and then a few days later, they saw him alive. Now, if you're walking in Bridgeport later today and going to a movie, and all of a sudden you see somebody alive that you were at their graveside funeral last week, I mean, it's gonna challenge your worldview. It's gonna challenge, you know, what do I do with this? And that's what happened. And you say, man, I, I don't believe this happened. Well, you know, um, I think there's a decision to be made. Did it happen? Is this God's message to you of love that gives you hope? Or are you saying, no, I don't believe it? But then you have to do something with the history. I mean, what's the explanation for a world that changed, for, for followers of Jesus who were hiding and scattered to all of a sudden become empowered and courageous and the rest of their lives changed? In fact, 11 of the 12 disciples died a martyr's death. I mean, for a lie, for a fantasy, or they see something that forever changed their life. In fact, what some people you know, don't realize is that um, Jesus didn't you know, suddenly rise from the dead and disappear, but he hung around for six weeks in Jerusalem. And he was seen by hundreds of people. In fact, at one time, in one sitting, there were 500 people with him. And then you fast forward about a month after that, and Peter gets up, and this is during the Feast of Pentecost. This is where people gather in Jerusalem, and they go to the temple, which was on the Temple Mount, um, today, the Dome of the Rock is there, which is a holy site in Islam. But at, at that time, there was the temple to Yahweh, the God uh, of the Hebrew people. And he gets up immense, in, amongst this crowd, and thousands are gathered, and he stands up and he gives his first 
sermon. And he said, you know what? Within a couple months ago, you guys were shouting, crucify him. And Jesus died on the cross. But then he was raised from the dead three days later, as many of you have seen him. And he did that because he fulfilled what was told about the promised Messiah that one day there would be somebody who came that gave us forgiveness for sin as a, for sins as a savior if we trust in him. And that was Jesus. And so now I'm gonna ask you to repent and be baptized. And do you know what happened? Over 3,000 people placed their trust in Jesus that day. Why? Because that, now they knew why behind what they had seen. I mean, an amazing thing happened. And Jesus rose from the dead. See, a movement of God didn't happen because Jesus was an ethical teacher. He had a lot of good things to say. No, a, a movement happened because uh, Jesus, the Messiah, died and rose from the dead. A movement happened not because, hey, here's some more moral things to follow. Here's a moral burden for you to carry. No, a movement happened because Jesus offered hope. Why did Jesus have to die? Isn't that kind of morbid? I mean, couldn't he just said, forgiven, and then just moved on? I mean, why do you have to die? Well, let me try to unpack it for you. Um, the Bible says our origins and humanity's origins is that we were created by God uniquely as, as, as humans and we're, we're, we're image carers of God. And he said we were created to be in perfect relationship, perfect, perfect harmony with God and with each other. And within that relationship, we're gonna, we would find our purpose and meaning and contentment and hope and peace and life. But he created us with this free will, and he did that because in order to have a perfect relationship, you have to have it. I mean, you have to have the option not to have the relationship. I mean, any loving relationship is special because you're choosing to care for somebody else. And humanity, unfortunately, decided, you know what, ultimately I care more for myself than I do for God. And so I'm going to choose to follow myself and not God. And we have this bent towards self-centeredness. And, and that broke our relationship with God. I mean, the very fact that you know, we live some of our lives, maybe most of our lives, without even acknowledging that God exists. And that we, maybe we should make a, a decisions in our lives in light of him. And that's just a bent and God says that breaks our relationship with him. And so God's a just God. He loves us, but he's also just, which means, you know, things that are done against him, there need to be consequences for those actions, for those sins. And, and we get that. We, we, I mean, we want justice in us. When we see somebody do something wrong or evil or hurt somebody else and they get away with it, what happens inside you? You get angry. I get angry. I want justice. I believe that's God put that in us because it reflects his heart. It reflects his character. So God loves us, 
but he's a just God and must punish sin, and so he, there's a problem. But this is the depth of God's love. He said, I, I, I want to take the punishment for you. Now, the Bible says God's spirit. So how's that going to work out? Well, God became flesh. Why? So that he could be sacrifice himself. God without a bod, no sacrifice. So that's what we celebrate in Christmas. God became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He became flesh, he lived a life that we should have lived. He was tempted in all kinds of ways, but he was without sin. And then he died on a cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's, that's talking about is a great exchange. God became flesh in the person of Jesus and said, I will go to the cross and I will willing, willingly suffer. And what happens on the cross is Jesus took the consequences and the guilt of the sin of each one of us on himself. And he was punished for us. And then his righteousness he offers to us. He says, I'll take your guilt. You take my righteousness. Trust in me and I'll forgive you and I'll welcome you home. That, that's the significance. Then he rose from the dead. Why do you have to do that? Well, the Bible says that the consequences of sin, the ultimate consequences of sin is death. I mean, death has ultimate power over us, right? I mean, one out of one. And Jesus says, no, it doesn't have the ultimate power. I have the ultimate power. And so he rose from the dead, showing that he can break the prison of death and its consequences. He says, one day we're going to be with him for all eternity, and it's going to be the way he meant it to be. You know, perfect relationship with him, harmony with each other, harmony with the world. And that's our eternity. See, because of the hope of Jesus, uh, we don't need to fear death, and we don't need to fear life. Because we have a risen Savior who says, if you trust in me, you'll never walk alone. You can go through life even when life sucks, when it's hard. And you can know that you're walking into a day with a God who loves you, cares for you. You're not alone. And that's, that's the hope of Easter. Now, Thomas, when he saw Jesus, in fact, did we read that? We didn't, did we? Thomas, when he saw Jesus, John chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas. He said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand here and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. You see, it's personal. 
It, it, Jesus didn't die for all humanity. He died for you. He's pursuing you. That's the love of God for you, my Lord and my God. And his love for you doesn't quit. It's not like my love. I mean, humans love, I mean, I, I love things that are lovely. You know, when it comes to me, sometimes I think, God, how can you love me? I'm not that lovable. But God says, my love for you is not based on how lovable you are. My love for you is based on the fact that I'm loving. And my love for you is not gonna quit. It's gonna keep pursuing you. I'm not gonna ever walk out on you. I'm not gonna wake up one morning and say, I just don't feel like loving you today. My love for you is perfect. When I think about some of the stupid things I've done, the love of God reminds me that those things don't ruin me anymore. I, I think about it. I, I, at night in bed, all of a sudden, something, a flashback of my past comes up, and I just go, what an idiot. Instead of being ruined by that, you know what, now I'm reminded of the greatness of God's love and grace. Because in spite of who I am and what I've done, God says, I love you, I'm pursuing you, I forgive you, you're mine, you're my child, you're home. That's God's love for you. Now the decision is yours. You know, I start off by saying, you know, that Easter is something that we ultimately need to respond to. It's not something just to, you know, intellectually learn about, but it's personal. And so where are you at in your journey? You know, maybe today you're, you're getting your brain around the significance of Easter like you never have before, and it is making sense, and it's resonating with you. And today, maybe it's the day that you say, God, I choose to put my hope in you. In a few minutes, I'm gonna give you the chance um, to have a conversation with God, where I'm just gonna lead you in a conversation with God, and, that, and talking with God, that's, we call that prayer, and you can just let them know where your heart is. And then after uh, we pray, we're gonna sing um, another song, and we're good, together we're gonna sing that, but, but if you prayed with me, I'm gonna ask you to do something, and that is, um, I have a couple friends who are up front here. I only have two friends. No, I have more, but a um, couple friends, Hillary, and who's over here? J Jason, go stand up so they can see you. Really nice people. And um, if you're willing to make a decision today and you're ready to do that, then I'm gonna ask you during that song, come forward, um, come up to Jason and Hillary. They're gonna connect you with somebody that takes you outside in the hallway so that you can hear each other. And we have two things for you. Um, one is we have some information for you where it's a, it's, uh, it's a bunch of Bible verses about the decision you just made today. So you have something in your hand so you can go back and look at and remember what you did. And then second thing is we wanna give you a Bible. And so um, it won't take long. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, I was all in until you said come forward. <laughs> you know, what's, what's, what's that about? Isn't this a personal thing between me and God? You know what Jesus actually said? He said, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. He's saying, you know, if, if God's putting a conviction on your heart, then, uh, you know, it's time to, 
have the courage like the followers of Jesus did in the first century. And said, I, I, I don't care. Jesus has put a conviction in my heart and I don't care if somebody else knows. And so I'm gonna have you come forward and, and I want you to know that in this room are a bunch of people who made that same decision. And in fact, some of those people are praying for you right now. They don't know you, but they're praying for those of us in this room who are saying, I think today's the day for me. And you're gonna come forward because you're never gonna doubt again, where do I stand with God? Because you're gonna remember that, you know, Easter 2022, I put my trust in Jesus. And that Easter was a celebration because I got it. And so let me lead you in a conversation with God, a prayer, and just in the quietness of your own heart and your mind, um, you might say something like this to God. And it's not, you know, it's not about the words, it's really about the condition of your heart and the, and the conviction of your heart. So just be, just be transparent, just be honest with them. You might say something like, dear God, uh, today I'm recognizing that you love me and you pursued me and I need you. And so today I'm choosing to put my hope in Jesus and what he has done for me. And so I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to, you know, lift any guilt and shame that I might be carrying in life and free me from the past and the weight of those things. And instead, may I not just just ignore those, but would, would those thoughts drive me to how good you are and how loving you are? So thank you for forgiving me. And I ask now that you begin making me the person you created me to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to congratulate you. You know, if you made that decision this morning and you just talked to God, um, man, I, I am I'm pumped for you. Now, in a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing, and you're thinking, I'm in the middle of the row, I'm not going anywhere. Well, you know what? Um, knock them over. <laughs> I mean, if, if God's working in your heart, then follow him. And it's okay to step on some people's toes as you, as you get by them. But, but we are for you. We want to celebrate with you. And we have a couple of gifts that we want to get in your hand. And you will be back in your seat before we, before we are dismissed here this morning. It'll just be a couple of minutes. And so I ask you all now, let, let's stand. We're going to sing a song together. And as we stand, if you made that decision uh, today, it's time. So come on forward as we sing.